0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 35.
1: This is Writing Excuses, Dialogue Masterclass, Episode 8, Nuances of Dialogue.
0: Fifteen minutes long.
2: Because you're in a hurry.
1: And we're not that smart. I'm Dan.
0: I'm Mary Robinette.
1: I'm Maurice. And I'm Howard. And we have come at last to the final episode in our class. Uh, Thank you, Maurice, for being here and teaching us so much about dialogue. Uh, We're going to end with uh, what might be one of the more complicated ones, nuance. Nuances of dialogue. Uh, What do we mean by nuance? We talked about subtext last time. How is nuance different?
2: Well, nuance are, are some of the, the different aspects of dialogue uh, that partly ties into characterization, but it's just the what some of the little effects uh, that we have to consider when we uh, talk about dialogue. Oh, so, you're
3: talking about sorry, you're talking about nuance at the meta level rather than nuance as an aspect of the words on the page.
2: Uh, I think I think it's very much both. <laughs>
1: I uh, per, perhaps uh, one way to think of this subtext is uh, the characters mm-hmm. communicating extra information. Nuance is the writer perhaps communicating extra information through dialogue.
2: Right. So I so I uh, so I, I so and, and part of it, and so all these sort of things have to inform my, my choices as a, as a creative. You know, every time I sit down to write a new story. So um, I wrote this short story uh, not too long ago uh, called uh, "The Norwood Trouble." And it's all about, there's a community here in Indianapolis, this is actually real history. There was a self-sufficient, free Black community. It was established right after the Civil War. And there was basically a functioning, independent city within Indianapolis that lasted until about 1950. Uh, and I'm like just now discovering uh, this city, this history, and all this kind of other things, right? So I, I write this story and um, and, I, and I share it with a couple friends. And one of the things they say is that, hey, in Norwood, we wouldn't speak this way. The, the, mm. the, the, the English seems a little on the formal side, da, 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 da. and so we wouldn't we wouldn't speak this way. And then he goes into some of the accent, uh, not accent, accent dialect of of people who are native to Norwood, uh, and I'm like, you are absolutely correct, but my story is absolutely correct also. And he was like, well, why is that? I'm like, because if you the story is a frame, there's a frame story where it's obvious the the main person is talking to someone who's trying to record this hidden history. So it's a native talking to an outsider. And what happens is is that as the narrator, they code switch because they're talking to an outsider. And so now their language is different. And so there's like one moment where they slip uh, in terms of how they communicate. Um, and and talk like they would naturally, but then they catch themselves and go back to having code switched uh, because they're speaking to an outsider. Um, And so that's what I mean. It's it's a nuanced thing that I have to be aware of at the meta level because I can't just be haphazard in what what I'm doing here, but then the character themselves has to be aware of it, like, oh, I'm speaking to an outsider, therefore I need to be conscious of how I speak.
0: Yeah, so this is is really uh, about how to make the voice distinct and and appropriate for both the story and the character who's speaking. Like um, when I wrote uh, of noble family, which is set in Antigua, I wanted, um, and I had. There's a ton of enslaved Antiguan people uh, as characters in the story, and i I wrote the I, I wrote the dialogue the way. I would hear it for someone of that class in the U.S., but the um, but the U.S. is not Antigua. There's new, nu- nu- very different nuances, and so I had an Antiguan author, Joanne Hillhouse, um, who, whose work you should read. Uh, I had her rewrite all of my dialogue because I knew that there was no way that I was going to be able to get the nuance of those characters um just the sound that the disapproving sound that that one makes is different so when you're when you're thinking about the nuance a lot of times you can you can hit that yourself you can do it yourself but sometimes you need to bring in someone from the outside like i also, get astronauts to help me. Here, here's, a, here's a fun piece of nuance. Instead of saying down the rabbit hole, an astronaut is likely to say, yeah, I, I've, I know this because they said it. Um, yeah, I was up all night because I fell down the internet gravity well.
1: <laughs> um, let, let me give uh, an, an example of, of doing this poorly. Uh, <laughs> my book, Ghost Station, which is about Berlin in the Cold War. Uh, I knew the culture sort of as an expat living in Germany for a while, but I also knew, uh, as Mary Robinette suggested that I needed to have some people with much, much closer to that context read it. So I had some friends from Germany. I even had a friend from who grew up in East Germany, uh, read this for me. What I did not do is have a friend from Berlin read this for me. And so there are several things where the German that I am using is incorrect. Uh, it is Southern German rather than Northern German.
0: Uh, so it's basically just, having a New Yorker say y'all.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, in, in this case, it was things like having an old woman in Berlin greet somebody by saying Gruß Gott, which is uh, a very Southern thing that seemed entirely normal to these southern German friends that I had read through this, so the nuances can be very, very specific.
3: An example that uh, lots of our listeners will probably be familiar with: um, the the TV show Firefly. Uh, part of the world building for Firefly was that, uh, yeah, most of the most of the business gets conducted in English, but when you want to curse, you curse in Chinese. And I was on a panel at a convention where we talked about how cool that was. And there was a linguist on the panel who said they got it all wrong because there's no way you would switch from the, the sloppy tonality and pitching of English to the very precise tonality of Chinese um, after several generations of having done it. Those things would have blended because that's just the way languages work. And the nuance here is that if the show had been filmed with people Americanizing Chinese profanity, it would have fallen flat for us. And many, many Chinese people probably would have been put out by the way this was done. And so the nuance there was linguistically, world buildingly, yes, they got it wrong.
1: But for the purposes of the show, they got it right. Let's take a moment here for our book of the week. We are going to uh, have a look at Maurice. You told us at the beginning of this class that you had two books come out this year. Let's talk about the second one, Unfatable.
2: Unfatable. Well, unfatable is my second uh, middle grade detective novel. Um, it features a, a young lady, Bella Fades, uh, who just wants to find the money to fund an arts project for herself and, and her community uh, you know during summer vacation you know as one does um, and then she gets embroiled in a series of uh, neighborhood corruption and, and the politics of, of what goes on when it comes to finding out figuring out money and so she falls under the uh, mentorship of, uh, of a character. I, I, when I was writing him I, I basically called him my, my retired Batman figure <laughs> and uh, and he mentors her and so that he doesn't solve any of the problems for her. He gives her the tools that she can go continue the investigation on her own and so so she gets to go up against all the city powers and 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 all that all on her own because uh the book's all about agency and and empowerment and i want to just and plus i was inspired by one of my one of my mentees i ain't gonna lie uh so she, she helped to inspire part of the story too so it's just uh unfatable i i really feel a lot about uh, uh about this book I, I love it so much
1: that's awesome. That is a middle grade detective story uh, called "Unfatable" by Maurice Broaddus. Mm-hmm. Go check it out.
2: And one of the things about writing middle grade books is you are, again, making a series of choices. Um, and and uh, one in turn, and actually it's probably the biggest one that I run into. because I just started another middle grade actually this week, and it's a historical middle grade. Um, that takes place on Indiana Avenue in the 19, late 1930s. But it's the same challenge in terms of what does slang look like in, in, in these mm. books? Um, uh, and, and so because slang is a way that um, it, it's like it's like any spice, right? Uh, if, if you put too much in, it, it can just over it can be overpowering. Um, and so I, and I think back to my my first book series, Knights of Breton Court, um, and I have a lot of slang in that book. Um, and in some ways, that book, because of that, I lock some readers out. Uh, but so that's one issue that pops up. But in another thing, uh, another issue is now I've dated that book because because of the slang choices I made, that book is locked in time. Uh, so uh, so again, there's you sort of the considerations, uh, the subtle considerations when it comes to language use.
0: Right, and then if you, especially if you're doing something that is a secondary world or or future. Uh, trying to come up with slang that seems appropriate uh, to to the era that that feels like things have moved on and evolved. Uh, one of the things we were um, we're talking about on on a break is, and this is, I promise, this is related, is that um, I've I've taught my cat to use buttons to communicate. Um, it's this whole thing, uh, augmentive interspecies communication, AIC, you can check it out on Fluent Pet. That's all, it's cool and all of that. But here's the thing. My cat has 70 words that she can use and she's still figured out how to curse with them. When she's mad at me, she calls me dog. Um, when she's mad at a situation, she says litter box, which is basically, you know, that's that's the Travel. process she has. That's her fecal matter. Mm-hmm. And and. What's fascinating to me about that is that what she did with the pejorative is she's like, what is something large and disreputable that I don't like? And that's dog. And with the other, it's like, what is something that's stinky and I don't like? And she goes to fecal matter. So, like, looking, you know, there, there are going to be certain things as you you go forward that you can you can grab. And sometimes people will use the thing itself. And sometimes people will invert it. Um, I love on, uh, on Dan's um, uh, middle grade audiobook series, the name of which I've just gone out of my head. Zero G. Zero G. That golden is the, is the, the way that kids say, cool. It's like golden. And, and it makes sense as a natural progression of language. So it's, you know when you're looking at nuance there there is so many layers of that and also the kid speaks just like a normal kid with this this one word put in that that sometimes you can just you can create the you can evoke to go back to the thing that Maurice talked about in our first episode you can evoke the sense of slang and a shift in language without actually making the reader work through all of that the way they would in, like, Clockwork Orange.
1: Yeah. Uh, Which is, you know, a great example of how this, this principle exists on a spectrum. That at one end you have Clockwork Orange or Neuromancer or something that is going out of its way to create an entirely new linguistic environment for the story, and you have to really work to get into it but once you're there it feels comfortable and new and then at the other end of the spectrum you have something like zero g which is just i made up one new slang word and other than that everyone talks like they do today uh to hint at the difference and none of those and and every other point on the line between all of those are good all of those are valid you just need to decide what effect you're going for and what is going to be the best way to create it.
0: And and also what you as an author can sustain and will be enjoyable for you. Mm-hmm. Like if you really enjoy language creation and go all in, if you don't, there's no reason we don't get paid enough basically. <laughs> so let me let me give you a couple of concrete tools um to, to think about when we're thinking about uh, nuance and dialogue, because I, I promised that I would do this when we were in our first episode. Um, I mentioned uh, pacing, accent, and attitude. So pacing or rhythm is um, the, 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 the sounds, the, the, the flow of, of how the language comes out. And you control that with your punctuation. So roughly speaking, as an audiobook narrator, when I look at punctuation on the page, it's there to tell me when to pause and breathe. So a comma kind of represents, and this is very mechanical, comma kind of represents a one-second pause. A period, I count for two, and a paragraph break, I count for three. And, And again, super mechanical in the real world. It's way more flexible than that. But when you're thinking about creating someone who speaks very rapidly and they don't really ever take a breath, take all the punctuation out. You get long run-on sentences. If someone speaks with short, choppy sentences, you put a lot of periods in. If you have a starship captain and there, then you can, you know, throw all of the ellipses in there that you want to throw in or periods occasionally. Um, Accent, which we talked about in terms of culture and nationality and class and age, accent comes down to word choice and sentence structure. That's how you represent that on the page. And then attitude is kind of all of the above. It's the rhythm with which we speak, which is represented by punctuation, and it's also the word choices. So the way you speak when you're happy is different than the way you speak when you're angry. And you can control the audience's perception of that through your punctuation, word choice, and sentence structure.
1: Awesome. Okay, so now we've got some homework to bring this all home. Uh, Before we do the homework, let me thank Maurice one more time for being here with us. You're fantastic. We love to have you on the show. Uh, This has been a really fun, deep dive into dialogue. So, Maurice, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. This has been great. You're welcome back anytime. Now, Howard, bring us home with some homework.
3: Okay. You you want a deep dive. Here we go. Um, I want you to create word and phrase lists for your characters. Um, Specifically, what we're looking for for each character is a list of the words and phrases that... Are unique to them that they are going to use that you won't see from the other characters. Um, yes, it might be things like catchphrase, third thing here. I made that <laughs> joke during our ensemble episode as well, um, reference to Free Guy. Uh, so, yeah, it might be things like catchphrases. Um, it might be verbal tics. A uh, couple of times in this series, I've said, you know, wait, wait, wait. The, the three weights in a row, that might be a tick that is unique to one of your characters. So you make this list of things that are unique to each of your characters, and then you make a list of things that are, uh, and this is especially important for an ensemble, uh, uh, expressions, um, words that they share that that are perhaps unique to them. Um, that you wouldn't hear from folks uh, in a different group. Essentially, what you're doing here is writing a little mini dictionary that you can refer to so that when you are writing dialogue and you get that spidey sense feeling that says, I don't know that the right character is saying this line, you can check your dictionary and find out exactly why that's happening.
1: There you go this is Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write.
0: For this episode of Writing Excuses, your hosts were Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, Maurice Broadus, and Howard Taylor. It was engineered by Daniel Thompson and mastered by Alex Jackson. To find more of Writing Excuses and support us, check out patreon.com writingexcuses writing excuses.